0: God. This is week four of the in series, and we are um, excited to be being strengthened in the area of worship. And so as we close out this series, I want to challenge you to actually apply the things that we have discussed and the things that we have present um, Thank you guys so much. Um, as I thought about what a good way would be to kind of wrap up all of these ideas and all the scriptures that we've been studying on worship, um, I really couldn't narrow it down to, to one scripture, and I felt like God was really um, giving me all of the scriptures. And so then I just prayed, well, God, how are they connected? Help me to connect them and um, incidentally, as I was praying and preparing for this, I was also working on, um, well, starting um, a, new, a new job and I've been to the location before, but but I've, I've been to the location before, but um, you know, once you, go to a place one time and you let years pass in between, it changes, you know what I mean? So I couldn't you know, quite remember all of the locations and pieces and turns and campuses and this side and that side. And um, I thought I was going the right direction. And I looked up and I was at a college, but it wasn't the college I was supposed to be going to. <laughs> and um, it was in the area, but The building I was looking for, I I was lost. And um, I had tried so hard to make sure that I got there on time and I had looked up the directions ahead of time. I even downloaded the stinking map, okay, on my phone. So I had like a little PDF. I was like zooming in. And in my mind, I knew where I was going. I had made all preparations um, to make sure that I got to where I was going. Um and so at this point I am in jeopardy of being late. So not only am I frustrated because I'm lost, but I'm a little frustrated too because I even feel like my reputation is on the line because if I'm late it's just going it's going to look bad and like you can't walk in and explain the whole, you know, explain the whole story, you just run in and sit down. And so I realized that at this point I had done everything I could do and I was going to have to reach out and get a little help um, because I really I really was lost everything that I knew to do I was depleted. Everything that I was familiar with, it did not work um, for me, and I found myself completely lost. Now, had I been going to the old job that I was used to, I can get there without even opening my eyes. Um, because I'm so familiar with that old place that I'm almost like on autopilot. And so I appear before I even think about it or without even thinking about it. Um, but the funny thing about it is once I reached out and got help and embraced this unfamiliar place, I realized that not only was I going to be okay, but that there was beauty in actually getting lost. And so I wanna preach a message today entitled Get Lost. And I, nobody really like says, I love getting lost. Like, most of us become very frustrated. Most of us, um, you know, I've even gotten to the point where I've gotten lost. Sometimes I just turn around and go back home, right? Because at this point, I'm like, it wasn't meant for me to go. It wasn't meant for me to be there. um, Because if the Lord wanted me to be there, I wouldn't have gotten lost on my way there. Like, these are the conversations that I have with myself about getting lost. But the funny thing is, if you want to worship God, With all that you are, all that he is, you need to familiarize yourself with getting lost. Because, see, it's the old season that we're very familiar with. Um, It's our old worship that we can get there with our eyes closed. See, that's the lackadaisical worship that we give out of tradition. We just show up because we've been there before, and so we just get there. And before we know it, the set is over, but we're the same. Worship is an expression of the heart. And the Bible says that out of the abundance of that heart, your mouth will speak. Words like abundance overflow. These are words that are prevalent in the word of God that we read. How many of you know that when something overflows, there's no catching it? If you were to fill up a cup and it began to overflow, then chances are that what ends up on the counter would get lost. Because you wouldn't be able to contain it. There is an old saying, um, people say, when I think, I thank. But I challenge you that we're overthinking it. Because, see, if we think, we thank. But in the deepness of worship, we actually don't think we forget. Forgetting is what happens when we take our carnal mind outside of it. You can only think your way into a certain level of thanks because there's another thing a scripture that talks about the mind of christ being very different from our mind and that the way that we think is not the way that he thinks and so if you limit your worship into what you can think and think, then you don't actually go to the place that he has for you worship it is an art it is the art of Losing yourself in adoration of another. It is the art of taking something that you know. And before you know it with your knower, you're somewhere that you have never been. Get lost. How do you get lost in that place of worship? There's a series of forgetting that has to come. When I thought about um, David, we read in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 14, it says, Then David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. And so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. And now, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. We speed up to verse 20. It says, then David returned to bless his household out of the abundance of that worship. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants. And as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovered himself. And later on, David's response, he says, And I will become even more undignified than this. He challenged them by saying, I'm willing to forget my accomplishments. I'm willing to forget my kingship. I'm willing to forget how smart I am. I'm willing to forget how many victories I've had. I'm willing to forget who I even am to others. She was embarrassed by his worship. And not because... She didn't think that he should be worshiping, but there was a knowing and an understanding that she had of his status. For some of us, status has been the barrier between where we are and where God wants us to be. You feel that because You have arrived to whatever place it is that you think that you have arrived, that there's a certain way that you behave and do not behave. And the eyes of Michael have been on you and you have been moved by the embarrassment of others. You have been moved by those that are looking on, but there's a certain level of worship where you simply forget who you are. You forget how long you've been here. You forget that you're a pastor. You forget that you're an elder. You Forget that you're a mother and you simply worship. Because your accomplishments and your status, it has a location. True worship has no location because you get lost. He replaces before he entered into that time of worship, he replaced his robe with his linen ephod, which usually was reserved for a certain type of ceremony. The problem is that the ceremony, the ritual that he was performing, it was known to be done in full reverence, and it was not a bad ceremony, but the problem was it was a tradition that they were familiar with that they practiced. And because they had practiced it, it did not have the ability to take them anywhere that they had not already been. So the problem that they had with David was that he took their sacred ritual, he took their favorite song, he took their favorite set, he took their favorite structure, he took their favorite three-part sit-down, move-on, he took it and he turned it into what God wanted. But they were not happy. And even in that moment of his triumph in worship, people around him tried to put him into what his status said that he should be doing. She despised him for the qualities that made him great. That's what made him great was that he was a worshiper after God's own heart. But it was being used now against him as the quality or something that they were calling maybe even showing off. And like her father, she found herself working against God. How is it that someone who was once dedicated in the place of worship, someone who's connected to a man of worship, how is it that they find themselves working against God? It's when you are too conscious in worship that you begin to work against what God wants to do. Why is it that she even knew what anybody else was doing at the time of worship? Why is it that you can describe who was sitting, who was standing, who was dancing, who was jumping, who was running? Why is it that you are even that conscious and that present here in this moment that you weren't able to be translated to the place where they went? But David is more concerned to honor the Lord than to actually work on his reputation, his devotion brought him to this place where he had certain advantages. It's an advantage to be able to forget. Unfortunately, we've convinced ourselves that as a Christian, the goal is to get as many blessings as we can. And then we take those blessings and we stack them up as accomplishments and then we sit on them in our throne in worship because now we have a status and so there's no place for him. We must forget our accomplishments. We read in Acts 16, verse 25, um, it says, But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and he was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm for we are all here. Then he called for a light and ran in and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This is a response to somebody else's worship, y'all. I don't know if you're actually like... Listening to what's happening here, I know you might be waiting for me to make a point after this, but this is the message right here. It's telling you what your worship should be doing. When's the last time that somebody was on the verge of suicide and your worship saved them? When's the last time that somebody's shackles fell off simply because you opened your mouth? And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house and he took them the same hour of the night and he washed their stripes and immediately he and all his family were baptized. That means they didn't wait to family Sunday. They, they, they didn't say, oh, you've got to meet my pastor. They didn't say, oh, you've got to come to this service. They didn't say, oh, you've got to go do this. They simply became the worship that they spoke about. And now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. There was no sleep for the missionaries that night. they were in an uncomfortable position but in the midst of their suffering in the middle of that suffering they displayed their trust in god romans 5 talks about what you do amidst suffering The problem is, as believers, we often find ourselves amid suffering. We're familiar with that. But what we're not familiar with is the proper response when you're in the middle of suffering. When's the last time you felt boxed in and opened up your mouth and lifted your hands? When's the last time you were in the middle of an altercation with somebody and you were being wrongly accused and instead of lashing back, you simply opened up your mouth and lifted your hands to the point where the accuser said, what must I do to be wrong? saved. We're so busy trying to get revenge and trying to clear our name and trying to make sure we're not taken a certain way and trying to make sure that we're not ruined. We're so busy that we don't even realize the testimony that we've been called to be. But your worship will cause you to forget your circumstances. Because, see, we get lost in finding a solution, but God's calling us to get lost right there in the middle of your problem. They didn't know how they were going to get out of prison. They didn't know how their names were going to be cleared. Matter of fact, they didn't know if they would even make it out of there alive. But you know what? It did not matter because they forgot where they were. I imagine they looked around at the surroundings and it looked dirty and it looked downtrodden and it looked cold and it looked dark because it was midnight. And in that darkest hour, they simply got lost. They no longer remember that they were in the prison. They no longer remember that there were other prisoners and they simply opened up their mouth. When's the last time you got lost? Because of their willingness to lose their obsession with their surroundings. And the reason why I call it an obsession is because if you think about how often you talk about your circumstances, I propose to you that 75% of what we talk about is what we're in right now. Whether it's good or bad. But we have become so presently based that we are not presence based because we live here and it limits us. And because at all costs, we want to avoid the unknown. And so we play it safe when it comes to worship. We play it safe when it comes to praise. We play it safe when it comes to his presence. We play it safe because we don't want anybody to be offended. But their freedom is locked up and you getting lost. Do you think that those prisoners could fight the presence that fell in that place? When you walk with his glory in your mouth, when you walk with his glory in your belly, when you walk with glory all over your life, anything that may have seemed odd or weird, it didn't even matter anymore because they couldn't fight the glory that was on their life. And so there was a supernatural confirmation that there was something different and that these were the messengers. And even though the prisoners may have lacked familiarity, there was something in there that they could not deny. What are you in right now that prohibits you from going in? What are you facing right now? That is stopping you from getting everything that you need in his presence. Everything that you don't even know that you need in his presence. We have to begin to see every challenge, every trial, every problem as an opportunity for experiencing God by losing yourself. You know why people don't like to get lost? Because they don't have control. You know what people say when they get lost? I just, I wasn't familiar with the area. I'd never been on that street before. And there's something about the unfamiliar that causes a panic in people. We have been on the threshold of going to where God wants us to be. And that panic arises. And if we're not able to call out what that panic is, we retreat. Why? Because we're trying to keep ourselves safe. But the very place where true safety lies, you're being held back from because you are too much in your conscious mind. Your life makes too much sense. We've been taught to critically think from the time we were in school and we've critically thought ourselves out of the presence of God. And because you're concerned with what makes sense and what it looks like, you've lived in that place of safety. When things don't work out, when you are full of pain, the key is to get lost in his presence. How do you do this? You acknowledge that God has complete control. You know why you don't like to be lost? Because you've lost control. But if you never thought you had it, then you couldn't lose it. But see, we're trying to hold on to something when we got to actually realize you have nothing to lose. Because there's nothing that you could bring to the table that it could actually compare to what he's trying to give you. The status that you've earned on your own, that's nothing to lose. The money that you've earned on your own, that's nothing to lose. The reasoning that you came up with on your own, that's nothing to lose. But we think that there's something to lose you think your reputation is better than what it actually is. Your reputation, nothing to lose. Because what he'll do is he'll give you a new reputation and calls for you to be known for his presence, for his glory, for his purpose, for his call, and your new reputation in him. Now that would be something to lose. There is this innate ability to become completely unaware of your surroundings. Acts 2, we're familiar with it and we um, try to model our church after the building of the very first church. Um, This scripture talks about uh, Holy Spirit, and it talks about unity, and it talks about what can be accomplished when a people come together on one accord. And when we read this scripture, it's a powerful scripture, but I want to focus just on verse 7 through 13 and it says then they were all amazed and marveled saying to one another look are not all these who speak Galileans and how is it that we hear each other in our own language in which we were born Parthians and Medes and Elamites and those dwelling in Mesopotamia Judea Cappadocia Pontus and Asia Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene visitors from Rome both both J.U. and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs and we hear them speaking like how in the world because what they were listing out to you was what they were familiar with. So they're like no I've been to this place and I've been to that place and I know what worship sounds like and I know what praise sounds like and I know what it looks like and I've been in the presence of the Lord I am familiar with this so what is going on? Some of us, that's how we felt when we came to this church. Some people have felt that way to such an extent that they run from the newness. And he said, he warned you, he said, behold, I do a what? Shall you not know it? So if it's not new, he's probably not doing it. (laughs) And then verse 12, it says, so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? And then others looking on mocking, they said, they are full of new wine. So we start with David and he bucks on them and he's like, oh, you don't like what I'm doing now? I I'll be even more undignified than this. You want to try me? I'll get more lost than where I've even been before. And then we move on to Acts chapter 16, and we're looking at them, and what it says is they began to worship right there in their circumstance. And then in Acts 2, it challenges us, and it says that people were looking on, and it said they drunk. Have you ever been drunk before? You ain't got to raise your hand. It's okay. You're laughing, so I know that that's you because you're laughing. Then you looked at your neighbor. It's okay. It's okay. The funniest thing in college, and I know this is probably bad, but I like to watch the drunk people. Because I'm just like, you are so stupid. You sound crazy you look ridiculous you are making all kinds of decisions that to me the onlooker looking on does not even like I don't even know why you would do that why are you saying that why are you behaving that way oh my god and like I don't know what it was the girls at USC they like to take their clothes off when they got drunk and I'm like oh my god put your clothes back on I'm like come on let me help you But there was no helping them because they had gotten to that point of no return. They were so gone, so lost. There was nothing that I could say. All I could do was try to help them and keep them safe until they slept it off. This is what the Bible describes that our worship should look like. This is what the Bible said that our worship should look like. Some of us, we're so conscious in the place of worship. We know what song we're singing. We realize that the clock is on. We are very aware of exactly what time it is. And nobody thinks that we're drunk. We look like we have it all together. But I challenge you that that's not the level of worship that God has for us. Not only is he calling for you to forget your status, but he's calling for you to forget your circumstance. Not only is he calling for you to forget your circumstance, but he's calling for you to forget yourself. Forget the family you were raised in. Forget the circumstances. Forget the place that you live. Forget what people know you for. And lose yourself. We have an entire legacy that we can be reminded of. We live in a consumer culture where we tend to evaluate life in a very selfish way. Consumers judge and compare absolutely everything. This is why when you go look for a car, even when you're shopping on Amazon, when you um, sign up for those home websites, there's a feature over there and it's called Compare. And what you do is you select the different items that from the naked eye may really look alike and you select them and they'll put them on a chart for you so that you can compare. And it says, okay, well, this one comes in these colors, this one goes this fast. And the goal of that comparison is for you to be able to judge yourself which one is the best one. We've treated the place of worship like that. We compare singers. We compare musicians. We compare songs. We compare jumpers. We even compare the loudest to those who are quiet. She must be in sin. She quiet. Don't play. People do it. But we have learned the different expressions of worship. And there's a place for so many expressions in that place. How do you know? Because you're overthinking in the place of worship. When's the last time we were incoherent? So inubriated in his presence that you couldn't tell up from down. You couldn't tell left from right. You don't know if she was running or she was running because you just had completely got lost in his presence. Our culture has a lot of talkers and not a lot of doers. People talk about football, but they don't actually play football. People talk about music, but they don't actually make music. People talk about things, they talk about business, but they don't actually have a successful business. People talk about worship, but they actually don't worship because we have been more comfortable with observing rather than doing. So we have no problem saying that we went to worship, but we don't actually know what it's like to have been in that place of true worship. We talked about you becoming worship. How is that? Because that means that everything you do, every piece, every fiber of your body, being Every time you open your mouth, every time you wake up in the morning, it's a testimony to the value of Jesus. If there were no words and I simply looked in the window and watched you worship, what would his worth be? How worthy would he look if I just watched you? How worthy would he look if I saw you calculate every movement? When's the last time that you actually knew what it felt? felt like, to lose track of time in his presence, to lose track of yourself in his presence, to not care what your song sounded like in his presence, to not look around after you fall out and see if anybody's watching you to get up. When's the last time that you have just lost your mind, your natural mind, not calculated your hands up? Up or hands down, not calculated, spinning around or standing still. He wants to consume us. He wants to consume us. He wants us to switch places with reality. He wants you to let go of your reality in exchange for his. There is an alternate world out there. But we've become so familiar with our natural worship. And we've even done a disservice at teaching what it looks like. And it's not bad to teach what it looks like. It's not bad. It's just that it's only a starting place. We have worship teams. I propose we call it the singing team. You're the worship team. How do we designate 5% of an entire body to be responsible for the ones that declare his word? Look at your neighbor and say, welcome to the worship team look on the other side and say welcome to the worship team team. you now are those who have been charged with worshiping him unconsciously god wants to break us he is trying to break tradition off of you he is trying to break this critical thinking, man-pleasing, restricted worship off of you. God is trying to release to us this unconscious state of mind where we don't even know what time it's over because we are lost. And if you would get lost If you would lose whatever it is, kind of street cred or church cred that you think you got. If you would get lost, I propose to you that everything you've been looking for can be found in getting lost. We're not waiting for anything. I'm done. You lost yet?